0: Hi, I'm Ray, a storyteller, educator, mom, and your host of Homeroom, an international podcast bridging the education gap between the classroom and the living room. Growing up, my single immigrant mom was so busy working multiple jobs to make ends meet, she couldn't afford to give me a lot of her time. So she relied on schools to teach me everything about how to succeed in life. But under-resourced and over-standardized, our one-size-fits-all education system had other priorities. In this liminal space of unmet expectations, I fell into a blind spot. Homeroom is my attempt to figure out why. In this first season, I speak with people in all walks of life from around the world about their own experiences with their education systems. I want to know what worked, what didn't, and what ideas they have on improving it for our next generation. In this episode, I speak with Joyce, a trauma recovery coach and somatic healing practitioner about her journey from being the quiet and obedient good girl to reclaiming her inner power. We talk about the importance of self-awareness, how the goals and needs of schools conflict with our own, and why education around trauma and emotional awareness is critical to raising the next generation of healthy and purpose-filled individuals. Here is our edited conversation.
1: So growing up, I was always sort of the good girl. So I was raised to be the quiet one, to sit in the corner. And I was the only child for seven years of my life, um, the first seven years. And so I was basically the child that my parents would take to, um, you know, other family, like adult gatherings. And so I would sit in a corner with my book and um, learn to listen to adult conversations without participating in them. And I remember I would always get compliments of like, oh, what a good girl she is, you know, to sit in a corner and to not bother us, to, you know, not make any noise or not fuss. And so I kind of always thought that that was a good thing. It was good to be quiet and to be in a corner. And so I went to Chinese school, actually, which is, known to be more strict. Um, the discipline is harsh. And I remember, of course, like the best student gets all the attention. They always celebrate, you know, the smartest kids of all and all that. And the thing is growing up, I've never been a very smart student and it was only around your six that I started to really catch up. So when I finally realized what I needed to do to be smart in, um, in school back where I came from in Malaysia, which was to memorize a lot of things and regurgitate it. I thought I like finally figured out, you know, the secret to being smart or to being successful. Because so much emphasis is put on grades there. And so, because I actually remember very clearly that before I figured it out, it was so hard for me. Like I was so mediocre and um, yeah, I just wasn't impressive in any way. And fast forward to university, I remember I I was doing an arts degree, a commerce arts degree. So in the arts component, I took subjects like philosophy and politics and history. And I remember in my first semester, I really struggled because one, I needed to go to tutorials and have an opinion and share my opinions about these to me, it was really just random readings. It, I, I still haven't really pieced it all in my, uh, together in my mind, um, because I guess coming from Asia, the textbook is just like one fixed textbook and you just learn the textbook. You don't have to go get readings and then form an opinion and compare, you know, uh, different opinions, things like that. And so, so one, I really struggled to participate in tutorials. And two, because we had to do research, um, a research piece during the exam, which means I couldn't have um, gone to the library and done the research and like carefully think through what I would write. I really struggled um, in those few exams I had um, for my arts degree. And I remember I actually memorized bits and pieces from the textbook thinking that maybe I'll use this, maybe I'll use that. Like I had zero system in terms of how to prepare for this exam. And it was only, I think the second or third semester, much later on, that one day there was a lecturer who was explaining what it means to be an art student. So he kind of drew a diagram of like, this is the facts. And as an art student, you take a few steps back and look at all the facts that's being presented and form an opinion about it. And that was basically critical thinking or analytical thinking. And it wasn't that moment that I was like, oh, is that what we're supposed to do? And I was just mind blown. And I'm like, how did I not know this? And thinking about where I came from, I just, I think what's really scary, even now thinking back, is that often you don't know what you don't know. Like, the version of me before I realized what I was supposed to do, I was lost. I was so clueless, but I didn't know what I was clueless about. Like, I didn't, even if I were to ask for help, I didn't know how to ask for help. Like, I didn't know how to put it into a sentence of what help I was looking for. And yeah, I feel like it was very much by chance that it clicked for me. And I cannot imagine what would happen if it didn't click for me when it did.
0: And, you know, as you were talking, I felt myself really relating um, to the. Uh, archetype that you illustrated here about um, being the good girl. Right. Um, And, you know, um, Dr. Carol Dweck talks a lot about like growth mindset and fixed mindset. And um, later on, like people who have been told that they are smart or um, they are, you know, good or whatever. Right. They sort of internalize that identity. And anytime they come into a situation where that identity is questioned, they tend to not go and, um, you know, they don't try to grow from that. Right. So I think there's this idea that, um, or one of the examples in that book was if you, um, If you, if you tell a a student that they are intelligent, that they're smart, that they figured something out because they are a smart person in the future, when given the chance, um, to do something that is more challenging or not challenging, they are going to choose the thing that is less challenging because it confirms their identity or it might threaten their identity. Right. And, um, I have been thinking about this idea in my own life in that I have always followed this fixed mindset of thinking that I was a good daughter, that I was a sweet daughter, that I was a um, good person because I loved my family and I did everything for my family. And just like really being fearful that if somebody finds out that there's like my brain is empty that they're going to judge me and that they're going to abandon me or they're not going to, you know, love me, right? So there were just so many things that was preventing me from realizing that, um, I, that I could actually question or that I could actually, um, you know, contradict somebody or actually have a varying opinion because I knew that if I spoke up in my family that I would be quickly told, what do you know, Um, you know, or, you know, how dare you say that to me? And I'm wondering like, if you uh, remember like a story of either a teacher or a family member um, and what kinds of things like they expected you to do and was there a time when you went against their wishes or went against you know the fabric of those communities that kind of got you in trouble or you saw somebody else get in trouble and so that reinforced your fear of, you know speaking up or having a different opinion yeah um yes i have
1: i've always had um the fear of speaking up I think I learned it more from my family though, because Mm -hmm. I think like you, in my family and my culture, as the kid, you're taught to never talk back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, yeah, never talk back, never ask stupid questions. (laughs) (laughs) Never, basically ask questions that cause an inconvenience Mm -hmm. to other people. Like if someone needs to stop and explain to you why that's not the case, that's too much. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yes. So I think it's been sort of ingrained in me to not ask questions because you don't know when you're going to ask the wrong one. It's better just to not ask any questions. right? (laughs) In terms of school though, I was never brave enough to go against anything, so I was always like the quiet one in the background observing. But coming from Chinese school and back when I was growing up, it was common for them to um, to use a stick to punish us. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And this would be for the simplest things, okay? It would be for things like, If you didn't get full score for spelling, oh gosh, yeah, it's for the smallest things. It's it's so normal for us that it's just part of life. Like we don't even we don't even really question it. Um, But I think what when it comes when I think about being in school, the one thing that really stood out for me though was the public shaming Mm. so i actually remember that this didn't happen to me but it happened to other kids i would see them get punished where they need to like wear almost like a like a tag in front of them like a big cardboard that says something bad about what they did or something like that Mm -hmm. and they had to stand in the field so that everyone could see them and i remember seeing that and that was quite yeah, I think that really made me quite sad and afraid. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no. So there. So something that you just reminded me of is um, I re uh, a little while back, I, I read um, an article about how your brain changes when you experience corporal punishment. um, And actually, you know, there are things that happen in your brain that causes it to shrink or um, to have a response, right. That is not really good for health, um, or growth or development. And, um, I was reading a book um, between the world and me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And he said, school is not about learning. School is all about compliance. And um, I was just thinking like, you know, this is exactly it. Uh, School wants us to become compliant and obedient so that once we're out of school, We can be obedient and compliant to our bosses at our jobs because the whole purpose of school is to turn us into economic products so that we can bring in enough money to make the economy uh, turn. And, you know, when I realized this, I was so sad and so upset because... You know, we spend so much of our lives giving up our livelihoods in exchange for nothing almost, right? Because all of this compliance and obedience leads to ill health. And if we look at all the chronic diseases and illnesses, diabetes, cancers, just you name it, you know, they are skyrocketing. They are going, you know out of control. And um, it's like this intense expectation from society that we need to be productive at all times. And it all starts at school. And um, I always say like school is designed this way. And I think you know, Sir Ken Robinson says this, Seth Godin says this, a lot of people are talking about this. And so, I kind of want to talk about your healing and how, like, how that sort of um, manifested. So, I
1: remember reading a book, the um, the IFS book, the Internal Family Systems book, mm-hmm. and he was saying how healing, generally speaking, is about coming back to self. Mm-hmm. But if coming back to self is in conflict with the broader community values then that is a problem for some you know communities out there
0: 100%. yeah 100% yeah
1: so it really i think it really begs the question of what kind of communities you know are we in and whether if that supports our our healing or not
0: mm. yeah Yeah. No, these are, that's really great. I haven't read that one. um, But I feel like uh, what you shared about that book sort of sounds very in line with a lot of, um, you know, literature out there about what it means to um, heal, right? From And and what it means to go back to, or um, if, yeah, to go back to a place of Uh, trusting your own intuition. How would you design school so that, you know, we aren't drilling obedience, we are not expecting compliance, but we're actually teaching our children and our students like how to go back to that place of self-intuition while still, you know, I guess having that constraint of knowing that they're going to need to make money once they, you know, graduate and, you know, have a career.
1: Well, I think the first requirement would be attunement to the child. And I know maybe this cannot be done in a school, you know, in a school format, considering that you have so many kids to take care of. But I think at the very minimal, like if, you're a parent, attunement to the child is so important. So I think the previous generation, they expect the child to conform to the system or to the way the parent wants to teach the kid. Mm. But I think we we now know that that isn't working. I mean, considering that we know so much about you know special needs, neurodivergence, we know that the one the one way isn't going to fit everybody. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that if you want to encourage your child to self-realize, to get to know themselves at a really young age and to honor themselves, you have to be attuned to the way they learn and attuned to their interests, their curiosity, and be proactive about nurturing those things. I actually think it's already happening. Like in Australia, from some of the mom friends I know, like if their kids have special needs or have seen a psychologist, they've actually been trained to do that now. Um, mm-hmm. So like if they're in school and it gets too overwhelming for them, they would then maybe go off to a corner and say, I need to you know, be, my, be by myself for a little while. And I think these skills are already starting to sort of penetrate into the school system a little bit. But I think the other thing is, I think even as the caregiver or the teacher, it's also important to know how to attune to children. Mm. Like know how to put yourself in their shoes and understand what they might be struggling with or what they might be needing. Um, I think that is is a skill, I think. It, It doesn't really come naturally until you start to practice it.
0: Oh my goodness. I cannot even tell you. So like, I've done a lot of reading. I've done a lot of like learning. Um, but my daughter, she is, um, uh, she'll be two later on this year. And I just, I cannot apply anything that I've learned because I'm constantly trying to meet my own needs. Right? Like it is so tough. Um, meeting my own needs. Um, and like, I'm constantly dysregulated, like every little tiny thing. And I'm just like, you know, out of control. And, um, you know, so I empathize with a lot of parents out there who are probably like, how do you do this when, you know, you yourself cannot attune to your own needs. And so, You know, I definitely think there needs to be some sort of like reckoning, right? There needs to be something there um, where we're teaching both the parents and the children to know what it is that they need help with. And I want to go back to something earlier that you said about um, school and how you said that even if you were to ask for help, you didn't know what kind of help you needed, right? You don't know what you don't know, right? You said something along these lines. And I want to ask you, because this is something that I really struggled with, with like for at least two decades of my life, is I knew that I needed help. I knew that something was wrong with me. I knew that I wasn't like my peers. I, you know... But I didn't exactly know what kind of help I needed. And um, so I think like if you were to look back on your life um, of looking at, you know, your younger self who wasn't even sure what kind of help they needed um, and you are to go back and kind of give that help to like what from what you know now to your younger self, what would that look like? what would you say to her? Or what kinds of people would you put in her life or what kinds of experiences or opportunities would you give to her?
1: I think I wish I had someone in my life who could see the things I can see now. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a big ask though, because I feel like not a lot of people. Well, first off, I think the previous generation, not many people have this understanding that we have today, you know, about trauma, about attunement, this sort of thing. But I think I wish someone could have you know, take a look at me and be like, I know what her problem is, and I know what she needs. And yeah. And I think that's kind of what I hope to do for a lot of people. To be honest, yeah. because I think I, I, I do understand the pain of not knowing what is wrong. Like, because even when I was struggling with social anxiety, even though I identified the problem, The other thing is I didn't, I just thought it was something wrong with me and I didn't realize it was because of trauma or because, or it could be something I can fix. And it was only much later on when I stumbled upon literature about trauma that I started to connect the dots. So yeah, unfortunately, even like my own healing journey has been. Sort of the luck of the draw, you know, yeah. so happened. I was exposed to this material and that material, and then everything kind of just fell into place.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, but yeah, if I were to go back in time, and if I had a magic wand, I would. I wish I would have wished that my younger self had someone who understood how, like, the subconscious mind works, how trauma is formed, so that they can be more intentional about either guiding me, you know, out of it, and healing, or be intentional about shaping my beliefs.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that is really good. Um, And, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking about All of the people in my life, I think, who tried to alert me to the fact that there was something wrong and that I needed to fix it. And this one story, I can't believe I remember this, Um, but I remember, so in college, I uh, used to take um, Taekwondo lessons and um, there was one person who I took Taekwondo lessons with. She was much, much older than I was, um, at least 40 years older than me. Okay, maybe not 40 years, maybe 20 years older than me. And um, I remember we were like stretching and we were like waiting in line for something at the same time. And we were talking about something and she just kind of got a glimpse of some of the stuff that I was struggling with. And she said something um, and like gave me a little bit of, like a hint of some advice, like probably something vague. And then the next time I saw her, she gave me a tape, um, like a cassette tape. Uh, And so this was a very long time ago. Um, And she was like, you know, "The, the, the teachings in this tape is what really helped me with this period of my life. And I hope that it will help you. And um, you know what I did? uh, I did not even look at that tape once. I did not even touch it. I didn't even take it out of my bag. And like several weeks later, she asked me if I had listened to it. And I was like, no, I haven't. And so she asked for it back. And so I gave it back to her, never having even like once listened to it. And part of it was because I didn't have a cassette player, right? I didn't have anything that could play this tape um, because it was like the technology was um, a little bit different. Um, But at the same time, I didn't think that it could help me because I didn't see what she could see. Right. I couldn't see what she saw and I didn't know what she had learned. And I had no in like, I don't know. I didn't have any proof that what she had learned was going to help me. And I didn't even, I don't know. Like, you can see that I'm like struggling with this because I still haven't really unpacked it. But I just didn't have that foresight to even get that help. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally understand this. I think this is the frustration. <laughs> I personally have with a lot of people that needs help. Because <laughs> it's easy for me to say, oh, I think I, I, I know what you need, you know, but then yeah. I know for them, it's hard for them to show up for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the biggest hurdle is self-honesty and how I like to sort of explain it is that imagine this right before anything bad happens to us we live by a certain kind of program we believe the world works a certain way we believe this is how we're supposed to be you know what life is supposed to be we have all these beliefs and expectations right but whenever we have a challenge or a rock-bottom moment, that is when we realize that these beliefs we have, this way of living that we've been sort of repeating every day, may not actually be true. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a hint, to ask to, a hint from the universe telling us to self-reflect on our beliefs, on our assumptions of how life is supposed to go or how relationships are supposed to work out you know, whatever it is. And I think that's why rock bottoms are almost needed because Mm -hmm. until you encounter that moment that makes you question, maybe that's not how things are supposed to go. That's when you you are suddenly more open-minded or receptive to considering other possibilities.
0: Mm.
1: But until that happens, you are almost very sure that that's just how things are supposed to go. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So what I've noticed, even in people, sometimes when they want to heal, when they haven't hit a rock bottom moment, they will only want to heal certain aspects of their lives
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because they see those as problem areas. When in reality, there could be a whole host of other programming behind it. Yeah. Yeah, but they won't see those as problems yet and they won't wanna heal those until they come to a place where you know they hit their version of a rock bottom moment that makes them question those beliefs. Yeah, so I think that's the reason why hitting rock bottom is almost a, almost like a prerequisite. And actually, yeah. if I were to give my own definition of what it means to be healed or as much as possible, I think it would be to be conscious of yourself, Mm. conscious of your thoughts, your belief systems, your emotions, and being able to take full responsibility of all of that. Because I do believe that being fully healed is impossible. I think this is as close to fully healed in a moment as you can get. Because the thing is, as we live life, more lessons are going to come up. We cannot heal those things before they actually show up for us anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, in every moment, the best we can do is to be aware and be responsible for our thoughts, emotions, and belief system.
0: Thank you for tuning into our conversation. About a decade ago, while teaching creative writing to a small group of elementary students, we started talking about unlikable characters. We had just finished reading several books whose villains varied from people, to systems, to even nature. And as we explored the darkness within these unlikable characters, my students built elaborate stories and worlds around them. At the end of the semester, As we read all of their stories in an anthology we bound for them, it was clear that my students had found a way to transform their villains into heroes. And now, looking back, I see that my students taught me that being unlikable was okay. But it's only now that I'm finally okay with being unlikable. Thank you so much for listening. If any part of this episode resonated with you, please connect with us on social media at the links in the show notes. And if you'd like to share your own education journey with us on this podcast, please send me a DM on Instagram.